If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the P-Rack in front of you. When you found your place in Deuteronomy 23, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 23, beginning in verse 17, this is the word of the Lord. No Israelite man or woman is to become a temple prostitute. You must not bring the earnings of a female prostitute or of a male prostitute into the house of the Lord your God to pay any vow, because the Lord your God detests them both. Do not charge your brother interest, whether on money or food or anything else that may earn interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but not a brother Israelite, so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. We acknowledge it to be so once again this morning, divinely inspired by you as you worked in and through the men who put their pens to parchment to write it. Your spirit was working through them to give us your word. We hold it in our hands today, thousands of years later, and we give you thanks for it. Thank you because you are the eternal, unchanging God, so is your truth. And so there's truth in your word for us today. And we pray now, O Spirit of God, that you would reveal that truth to us. And as we see what it is you require of our lives, make us faithful and eager to do it and to live it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We are making our way now through this last part of the law section of the book of Deuteronomy, from chapters 12 to 26. And this last section is comprised of chapters 23 through 26. So once again, this Sunday, we come to the word of the, uh, of the Lord in Deuteronomy as we come every week seeking to know how it is that we can live well in the land in which God has placed us. If God used the, the book of Deuteronomy, and the teachings contained in it to prepare his people to live well in the land that he was giving to them, certainly those same truths from the same God will benefit us toward that end. It'll help us know how to live lives that reflect the glory, to be glory reflectors of our glorious God. It'll teach us how to live lives of grace and goodness that are a result of worshiping and loving our gracious and good God. It'll teach us how to live lives that are great. Not as, God, not as the world defines great, but as God defines great. How to be the aroma of Christ, wherever it is we find ourselves. That's what we seek. That's what we 
want to be. Toward that end, we can learn this week really how to bring that about in a more likely way from these verses, but particularly from the structure of verses 23 through 26. Just the way these chapters are are structured is very beneficial to us. This section is bookended by talking about worship. Chapter 23 talks about worship. Chapter 26 talks about worship. Two weeks ago, we were in the beginning of, uh, of this chapter, and we talked about this phrase, the assembly of the Lord. You, you find it in, cha- in verse 1 and 2 and 3 and 7. And we saw that the assembly of the Lord is a very specific phrase, and it's used not to describe all of the nation of Israel, but just the nation of Israel when it is at worship. And we saw that there are people who are included in the worship of God. And we saw that there are those who must be excluded from that worship. Chapter 26 is also going to talk about worship. We're going to see that in a few weeks. If you're a person of faith, (laughs) you believe that it will only be weeks and not years. So worship bookends this section. Worship 23, worship 26. Bookends, fences in these chapters. So what is it that is in between the bookends? What are these worship bookends holding up? Miscellany. Look in your Bible, right above verse 15. If you're using one of the pew Bibles there in front of you, or maybe the ESV study Bible, or the King James Bible, or the the New Living Translation, you should see a heading right above verse 15 that reads, Miscellaneous Laws or Miscellaneous Regulations. Is that what you see in your Bible? Thank you, Jim. (laughs) There are other section headings in this chapter. Exclusion from the assembly. We can kind of guess what that means. Another is uncleanness in the camp. And yes, we saw a couple of weeks ago what that means. Uh, but, but miscellaneous, that communicates something. It, it communicates that we can't find a neat box in which to place all these laws that are contained in these, verse, in these chapters. It's like the miscellaneous section of the budget. You know, We, we don't know where to put all, all expenses or all purchases. So we just easily throw it into the miscellaneous category. Now I realize that these subheadings in these chapters are not inspired by God, but they're very telling. Bible translators, commentators, they have great difficulty in grouping these laws together in this chapter. They have difficulty in connecting them and making them easily relate one to another, and that seems to bother them. That they're not able to do that, but it encourages me. And here's why it encourages me. Because miscellaneous is a very good description of my life between these bookends of Sunday mornings. Miscellaneous, am I alone in this? If we define miscellany as a group or collection of different items, a mixture or group of various and somewhat unrelated items then that becomes a vivid description of my life and probably yours as well. We are busy, busy people and we wear lots of hats in our lives. We have church life, family life, 
work life, social life, recreation life. And within each of those different categories, there are subcategories. Family, for instance, you could be a husband, a father, a brother, an uncle, on and on it goes. And each of them have their own requirements. We're busy people. And sometimes, or most times, our lives, speak for myself again, my life doesn't flow sensibly and smoothly from one task or requirement to the next. And very often, we will literally say, give me just a minute. Let Let me change hats, right? That's what we do. So how are we living the miscellany of life? How are we living between the bookends of worship? Because it's how we live in the in-between time that really sets us apart. Causes the world to take notice that we are different because we are God's people. In the little country church where I grew up, we used to close a lot of our worship services singing the old hymn, Till We Meet Again. You know that one? Till we meet, till we meet, till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again, yeah. And so we would sing that, and then we would say goodbye at the door, and very likely we wouldn't see each other again until the next Sunday morning. Listen, that's a song we sing to each other. That is not a song we sing to God. And so we learn from the miscellany of these chapters that we don't leave God at the door until our next time of worship. God belongs in the miscellany of our lives. So look at... With me again at verse 17 and 18. You must not bring the earnings of a female prostitute or of a male prostitute into the house of the Lord your God to pay any vow because the Lord your God detests them both. I got to say this. I deserve a raise for preaching these passages that I'm preaching. (laughs) What does this verse have to do with the gospel? What does this verse have to do living, with living well in the land for a congregation of people who at last check were not making their living by prostitution? Well, I think we can find some places of commonality between our lives and the lives of the people described here when we think about the life story that's behind these verses. Somebody, a man or a woman, they earn their living through prostitution. But this person is a religious person. They're not atheists. They're not God-haters. This person who earns their living this way is no stranger to the temple. And they even made some sort of vow, presumably a vow to God. And this person shows up for worship with money in their pocket or money in their purse, made from prostitution, And they want to bring that money and give it as an offering to God. So this lifestyle that they're living and this offering that they want to make is very telling about how they view God and how they view themselves. Their view of God is that he belongs in the temple. That's where God stays. You only encounter God there. The view of self is that the time in between the bookends, the time of worship, that belongs to me. And it doesn't matter how I live that life or what I do with it. 
The view of God is that he is not a holy God. It doesn't matter what you give God. It doesn't matter where you got what you give to God. Go ahead. Give it to God. God will take it. He'll take anything. Because he's a God who needs. And if he is indeed a God who is in need, then he is a God who can be bribed. Or a God who can be bought off to meet that need. It means that he is a God whose favor is for sale. And that he can be appeased if you bring him something. And it doesn't matter where it comes from. Doesn't the money of Al Capone in the collection plate spend the same as all the rest of the money? And can't the church, can't you worship in the church built by mobster and crime boss and bootlegger and drug trafficker Lucky Luciano? Remember him? He had a church built in the prison where he was incarcerated. Can't you worship there as well as any other church? But here I am, silly me, going on about prostitutes and gangsters right here in church. And we're neither. True enough. But perhaps there is someone here this morning. And you live your life in between the bookends the way you want to live it. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who regularly leaves God at the door of the sanctuary. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who believes that if you are good enough, and if you work hard enough, and if you give enough, and if you do enough for God, then you will please Him and you will win His favor. If anyone is here this morning, who might possibly believe any of that, I'm going to seize this opportunity to remind us all about some truth about God so that all of us in this room will live this in-between time really well. If you've been here at Redeemer very long, I hope that you've already learned this theological concept to which I'm getting ready to refer. It's called the aseity of God. Anybody remember hearing that? Please raise your hand, somebody. The aseity of God. If you've forgotten it, I'm going to remind you what it means. And if you've never heard it, take this as your opportunity to learn it. This is a theological concept that's really important because if we don't grasp the truth of the aseity of God, we will not rightly understand the gospel. We will not truly be amazed by Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. So when we talk about the aseity of God, we simply mean this, that God is complete in and of himself. That's the simple definition. God is complete in and of himself. Our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, says that God is without passions. That simply means that God doesn't need anything. He's not desperately looking for something to add to himself. Reading from the Confession, chapter 2. God has all life, all glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in any need of any creatures which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom 
are all things. God is complete in and of himself. Psalm 50. God says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and the fullness are mine. The world belongs to God and everything in it. God doesn't have need. How many of you have ever played Pit? You've got to be older to have played the game Pit. And you're like, remember that? We used to play it growing up. And when you're playing the game Pit, the object is to get a corner on the market, which means you have collected all of the wheat cards or the flax cards or the oat cards or the barley cards, whatever. And in order to do that, you have to trade what you have and don't need in hopes of getting what you don't have and do need. So you might need three barley cards. So you put your cards down on the table. And with a voice of desperation, you say, three, 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 three. Come on, three, three. Somebody trade me, three, three, three. And you hope that somebody will trade you. and It'll be three barley cards or whatever you say, corner on the market. You're desperate for what you need. Or perhaps you've played Settlers of Catan. Settlers of Catan? Yeah, the Washington Post has called that the game of our time. Well, in that game, you need to build a settlement on the island of Catan. More than one settlement. And you hope that you can turn your settlement into a city. More than one city. Because if you do, you win the game. But in order to do that, you need resources. You need lumber and brick and wool and grain and ore. And so perhaps you have an excess of lumber that you don't need, but you don't have any bricks. And so you try to trade your lumber that you don't need and have for the bricks that you need and don't have. And if people will trade you and give you what you need... You build your settlement, you build your city, you win the game. The games that we play, the games that we play in life, remind us of how dependent we are. We are not complete in and of ourselves. We're not. We need other people. We need the resources they have. We, we, we need the support that they can give. And so we beg for those resources or we trade for those resources or we just try to buy them right out so that we can reach the goals that we have for our lives. But listen, God is not like us. That's a good thing to say together. God is not like us. He doesn't need anything at all. He certainly doesn't need anything we have Therefore, God is not willing to trade with us. That's an even better thing to say. God is not willing to trade with us. He doesn't need to. There's nothing that you have that glitters in God's eyes. that makes God say, wow, I would love to have that. And even though I know that our worship, when it's done in spirit and in truth, pleases the Father who loves us. Nevertheless, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and commanded him, tell your disciples to stop. Stop praising on that Palm Sunday. Have them stop saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Tell them to stop saying, Hosanna, praise the Lord. Make them stop. Jesus responded, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will 
cry out. God doesn't even need our, our praise. David says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. So what is it that you believe that God needs from you? Fill in these blanks. I will give God blank so that God can blank. So that God can what? Sustain himself? Is that what we're doing? We give to God? Are we funding the maintenance and the upkeep of the eternally existent one? Would God waste away if it weren't for what we give to him? Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God created the universe through Jesus and that he upholds the, word, the universe by the word of his power. What are we going to give him that he needs? Do we give to God so that he can continue to transform lives? Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Romans 8 says, the Spirit gives life and has set us free from the law of sin and death. So I think that God has it covered. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is completely independent of all He has created. He existed from eternity past without us and He could exist for all eternity future without us. That is the aseity of God. He is complete in and of himself, without passion, without need of anything we have. If God needed anything, he would not ask us. He would create it himself. And so when you and I understand that and we grasp it here and in our hearts, then you and I are ready to understand the gospel. Then we are able to sing with true wonder. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God is not desperate. He does not need us, but he wants us. God does not need us, but God wants us. And that's why the gospel is such a beautiful thing. When Jesus left heaven to come to earth, it isn't as if he had to to run out. And pick up something he needed and then return home. You know, a quick trip to the store. Got to have some butter. Got to have some milk. Got to have some eggs. If Jesus had never left heaven, if Jesus had never left heaven to come to earth, he would still have had access to everything he needed to be completely and perfectly happy for all eternity. He left heaven to come and get what he did not need. He left heaven to come and get those whose very best, the very best that anyone could possibly offer are to the Lord like filthy rags. That's who he left for. So why bother? He left because he loved. That's another good thing to say together, isn't it? He left because he loved. One more time. He left Because he loved. That's the truth. And we cheapen his love when we suggest that it's our actions 
or what we do for the Lord or our attitudes, that that's what coaxed him out of heaven. That a, a reluctant Jesus saw, oh, well, look what they've done. I guess I better go for them. No. And we cheapen the love that Christ has for us when we suggest with our actions or attitudes that there's something that we've got to do to keep hold of that love of God in Christ. I got to keep on. I got to keep on. I got to keep working, Lord, working. If I don't, Lord, you won't love me anymore. Why would we cheapen the love of the Lord in that way? As if that's what inspires the love within him, us and our goodness. The love of God is just that. It is the love of God. It belongs to him and exists in him. It's the essence of who he is. Scripture says God is love. And because God is also gracious, he extends that love to us. Here it is. Here is my love. Fully demonstrated to you in my son who came for you. You can have access to this love of mine. By placing your faith in my son, believe that Jesus did the wonderful things that he did do for sinners like you and for me. That's great news. Is that great news? Access to the love of God who doesn't need us. Access to the God who wants us. See, our world misses the point completely. Our culture misses the point completely. Instead of saying, yippee, God has provided a way out of the mess. And people can spin it any way they want, but it's still a mess. And they can praise the human spirit. They can elevate us to the highest possible level. And still that's not going to change the fact that the world is a mess. Wars, hunger, homelessness, injustice, rage, deceit, manipulation, on and on it goes. So, Into this mess, God interjects his love and therefore his hope. But instead of saying, yippee, a way out. And we only need one way, right? We only need one way of escape. Instead of saying, yippee, thank you, God, our culture says either, well, we don't need a way. Or, well, we'll fix it ourselves. How many years of human history has to continue. And how many generations have to take their turn at the plate before they realize that one generation is going to be just as big a failure as the next. We are not going to be the generation that makes a way out. We are not going to be the generation that fixes it. What will fix the mess is for every knee to bow, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That will fix everything. That will fix everything. But proud, arrogant people aren't going to bow. They're not going to bend the knee. They're not going to profess or confess. And so the mess continues. Or maybe our culture will concede, yes, this is a mess. But instead of saying, yippee. A way, a way out, our culture says, well, we don't want that way. Missing the point. Or they'll say, unless you allow for multiple ways, we will reject you and the one way you have provided. 
Are you kidding me? If you're here this morning and you have not already said, yippee, thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for this way out. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for your life in Jesus. I hope and I pray sincerely that this might be your yippee moment. Embrace God's way. Embrace Christ, the one who doesn't need you, but the one who loves you and wants you. And let the world say what they will about you. Let them call you a fool for believing. Let them put their own spin on God. Let them turn him into an unloving, intolerant, narrow-minded, bigoted, hate monger. Let him go ahead. But you look at Jesus and in an instant you will know that God is otherwise. This God who needs nothing wants you. Wow. You don't have to bribe him or beg him or trade with him. You can't. He has no need. You just come to him through faith in Jesus. Now we've forgotten the prostitutes. <laughs> Let's get back to them. So we finish and, and, and talk just very quickly about this time in between. The God who loves us cares about how we live our lives. Truly he does. He cares about how all of us in this room live our lives between these bookends of worship. With God, it isn't anything goes. He's a loving God, but he's also a holy God. And he's not going to receive into his presence this money received through these sinful acts. Don't bring it. God doesn't need it. God doesn't want it. So that should tell us that it makes a difference how we live in the in-between time. It, it matters to God. The end doesn't justify the means in any way. Oh, Lord, in the end, I know that I'm going to repent. In the end, I know I'm going to say I'm sorry, but for right now, I think I'm just going to go on sinning. Well, Lord, I know I've squandered thousands of dollars and multiple years of my life. But look, Lord, here, I finally got the winning ticket. Ding, 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 ding. I won. And Lord, I'm going to give you part of that money. See, you and I don't give because God needs us to give. You and I give because we need to give to the Lord. We need to. If you don't give, if you don't have some outlet for giving back to the Lord, this dam of gratitude within you, it's just going to explode. It'll explode. And so you give to the Lord to release the, the pressure of the gratitude that is within you for all Jesus is and for all he's done to you. Lord, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I give to you. I give you my life, my time, my talents, my resources, all of it. That's when you and I are going to live really well in the in-between times, in the miscellany of life. When we have this realization always that all of our life is given to God, not just at the bookends, all of us, all the time, and all of life are given to God. Now you can say, that's too superlative for me, Craig. 
All, 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 all. Let's moderate a little bit. Moderation in all things. Some. Let's say some. You know, some. But I think that to be the problem with the people's lives who are described in this passage. God only deserved some. God only deserved some of their time. God only belonged in some places. God was concerned only about some attitudes. And we see where that kind of thinking got them. It caused them to dishonor God. To fail to understand His holiness. To turn God into a beggar. uh, A God of need. And they were wrong. Because God sees it all. He cares about it all. And it all belongs to God. And that being true. That it all belongs to God. All the time truly should terrify us. It really should. Because you know and I know how we live our lives in the in-between times. We know what it is that we attempt to offer God if we offer Him anything at all. And we know the motivation behind it. We should be terrified. But we're not terrified. And why aren't we terrified? Because of Jesus. If we run, if we hide in Him, it's okay. If we confess that it's His blood shed on the cross, that is the only cure for sin. It's okay. If we stop trying to make the labor of our hands and what we do, the thing that makes us acceptable to God, it's okay. If we cling to the cross, it's okay. If we let Jesus wash us and dress us and cover our nakedness, And our sin in the in-between times of our lives, if we allow Him to cover us with His robe of righteousness, it will be okay. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You again for Your Word in which we didn't get far this morning. Lord, we got far enough to see these truths about You. You are not a beggar, God. You don't have to plead or beg for anything from anyone. You are complete in and of yourself. And when we understand that, Lord, we are ready. We are ready to begin to understand the gospel. Because we know that there's nothing within us that causes you to love us or to call us to yourself. It's just a work of your free grace. Because you want those that you don't need. So we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us make a proper response to this amazing love. A love that we would probably never demonstrate in our own lives. Help us to respond to that love. By living all of our lives for you. And every detail and every miscellaneous, disconnected, unconnected event in our lives. May you be in the midst of all of it. And Father, we pray that they wouldn't just, these would not just be superlative words spoken from a pulpit. All of life, all of God, all the time. We need you to make it a reality in our lives. We need you, Spirit of God, to convict us, to know that, yes, this is the way it ought to be. Thank you again for Jesus. Thank you that we can stand before you, a holy God, without being terrified. Because we stand before you through Jesus, dressed in his righteousness, 
faultless, to stand before your throne. So we thank you and praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.